You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, as Louis mentioned, we're in a series called Left and Right. Uh, we're looking at some of those more controversial issues and how Christianity intersects with them. And, and today we're therefore talking about refugees. So with that in mind, uh, I'd love to just begin by praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have inspired all Scripture by your Holy Spirit. We pray that your same Holy Spirit might be at work in our hearts and minds today so that we might understand and indeed have a will to act on what we're about to hear. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as we get started, I want to introduce you to my cousin, Ken. Ken is a year younger than me. He's the only son of my mother's only sister. And so it made sense that we spent a bit of time growing up together. Ken and I have lots of things in common. And so it's always good to spend time together. However, as we've got older, we've done that less. I think that's pretty sort of straightforward and pretty normal even. And so the last time I saw Ken was Christmas 2019 when we gathered as a family. It was great to catch up with him over lunch. And I found that he'd, he'd taken up an interest in Cyrillic languages. And I've got a bit of an interest in language learning myself. And so we're talking about this and he shared with me, he said, actually, rather than just learning a language on Duolingo or whatever app he was using, he said, I'd love to go and just immerse myself in the culture so I can pick up the language quicker. You might not know what a Cyrillic language is, uh, but I found out that then a couple of months later, February 2020, he sold his house here in Australia. He quit his job and he moved to the Ukraine. There he was locked down for the next two years. And next thing, of course, is war. And so when we had a family event in March this year, that was the topic on everyone's mind. How's Ken going? He'd assured us he was okay, that he had plans to get out of the Ukraine before the bombing started, but he was still in Kiev and all his plans fell through. Now, after that family gathering, a week or two later, we found out that he did get out. He fled to Lviv, one of the border cities still in Ukraine, and there he has been since. And in our family, we're not quite sure why that is. <laughs> why is he still there? Get out. I feel I only sort of appreciated the situation he's in when I started preparing for this topic. You see, Ken has two choices. One is to keep running. But he's lost everything. He's only got what he can carry. <laughs> he's gone from being a homeowner with a career here in Australia to having no proof he even is Australian. And so he's chosen to stay behind so that he can try and get the necessary paperwork. Praise the Lord, just this week his visa came through. 
For Ken, therefore, he's in the refugee asylum seeker situation. Does he keep running with nothing and become an asylum seeker? Or does he get the necessary paperwork by staying where he is in danger so he can become an immigrant or return to Australia? Ken made the refugee situation real for me. He helped me understand its complexity. And I'd like to do both of those things today too. To help us understand the complexity by looking at two Christian responses. So what should we do to welcoming refugees into our country? And the second part is I wanted to become real for us. Christian responses and then how do we connect? What do we do? How do we engage with this topic? So with that in mind, we're gonna begin by thinking about Christian responses to this refugee issue. Now, some of the topics that we're looking at in left and right are more straightforward than others. Sometimes we can go to the Bible and we think, here's what the Bible says on this. Often, of course, it's a bit more complex than that. The refugee one is one of those more straight line issues. Refugees are throughout the story of the Bible. In fact, some people say the Bible is actually a story of refugees. If we start there right at the beginning, Genesis, the Garden of Eden, there are two people. We spoke about them a bit before. They were given a choice, one job. <laughs> Trust me, no, we've got this. And so God removed them from Eden. He removed them from their place of safety, their place of refuge, their place of belonging with God. And ever since humanity's been looking for a new home, a new safe place. If we jump from Eden to Egypt, we can see that God's people were literally refugees. <laughs> They were oppressed by evil and, like my cousin Ken, had to run with only what they could carry, seeking a safe place, a refuge. From Eden to Egypt to the exile, as we just heard from Tash, we've been looking at ne Nehemiah and Ezra this year. Once again, God's people are a minority persecuted for their faith. They have to leave in order to rebuild a temple and worship God how they would like. Then we come to Jesus. You know that story we never talk about much at Christmas? When Herod the king tried to kill all the toddlers up to the age of two? Jesus was an asylum seeker. He had to run to Egypt to preserve his life. And as we just saw in our Bible reading there in the book of Ephesians, we're actually called refugees in the Bible. The word there that's often used is a stranger, a foreigner, an alien, a sojourner. And so in Ephesians 2, we just heard, you were once alienated from the country of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise 
But then, of course, we've got the good news. But Christ came and preached peace to those who were far off and those who were near God, the, the people of Israel. Through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then we are no longer strangers and aliens or refugees, but we are fellow citizens in God's family. We looked at 1 Peter this year. It directs the whole letter to people of like us and says, you are refugees, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. You might be persecuted, you might suffer for what you believe. With that sort of laid out in that way, you can see why one Christian response, a majority Christian response is to say, well, it's pretty straightforward, right? <laughs> if we were once refugees and we were welcomed in by God, then surely we need to show that compassion and care to others. People quote Jesus and the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. He had mercy and showed practical care for someone who was in need. Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about the sheep and the goats. And it's actually a metaphor for the judgment that will come. And Jesus says, have you shown hospitality to the stranger? Have you clothed those who were naked and fed those who needed food? So many Christians conclude, it's a bit open and shut, isn't it? <laughs> open the borders. Open the doors, open the churches, let's invite them in. And at this point, maybe I could sit down. <laughs> but it's more complex than that. And I think we sort of have an appreciation or at least an awareness that it's more complicated than that. Because we've had a number of prime ministers who say that they're Christian yet have not just flung open the borders. Why is that? Well, if one Christian response is, bring them in, we will care for them, there's another argument that needs to be represented. And I think there's sort of four main points to why then we potentially will not just fling open our borders. And the first one is this. While the Bible does teach compassion and care, it also teaches responsible stewardship. God has made all things and he wants us to be responsible and careful with the blessings and the resources that he's given us. Let me give you a quick example of that. I want you to imagine it's 10 o'clock at night, you hear a knock on your door, you open it, it's your neighbour. There's been a fire in the kitchen. How smells of smoke can I crash here tonight? I would hope that most of us would say yes. But let's change the situation a bit. Let's imagine it's 10 o'clock. The, the knock at the door is our neighbour. Their house has burned down. Can I stay here with you? Quite rightly, I think we're going to start asking questions in our mind, if not out loud. For how long? Just you or you and your family? Cost of living has gone up. Can you help with groceries? 
Then we rewrite the situation and we imagine a stranger, a foreigner, not because we're racist, but someone we don't know comes and knocks on our door. We're going to ask questions about the safety of our children. Oh, rightly so. And I think that's a bit of an example for the, how the government needs to look at this. It's not as easy as just throwing open the doors. We are a rich country. We've been very blessed by God. But with refugees, with asylum seekers, comes a need to access the resources we have. Educationally, medically, our justice system. Trauma-induced behaviour is quite likely to follow. Are we equipped to deal with it? So one argument, therefore, stewardship. Another one is security. I take it you've heard of ISIS, a terrorist organisation in our world. They have boasted they are smuggling suicide bombers into countries disguised as refugees. That's pretty concerning, right? And they've done it and been successful. The Paris bombings. Again, our government needs to consider not just good stewardship of our resources, but security, border safety. Third argument. I've used a little interchangeably things like refugees, asylum seekers and immigrants, but they're not all the same thing. An immigrant is someone who has the necessary paperwork, which is what my cousin's trying to get. An asylum seeker is someone who doesn't. So our government needs to answer the question, not just how many can we welcome in, but how many of which type? And our government, I was actually just reading this morning, I, I saw an article on this, uh, is currently accepting just over 13,000 refugees each year. And we prioritise immigrants, those who have the right paperwork, those who are in the right processes and queues. And again, we've got to ask questions about this. That seems right, but are we indeed caring for the vulnerable? James chapter 2 in the Bible says, If you have been loved indiscriminately by God, how can you show favoritism and say to a rich person, come in and sit near me and say to a poor person, you stand over there? Is that what we're doing at the moment? with rich people who can afford the paperwork, come in, join our country. You can boost our economy. Come and sit with me. While we say to the poor, those who have had to flee and have nothing, you go in offshore detention centres. Stewardship, security, immigrants versus asylum seekers, and finally, identity. If we welcome people in, it's going to change our country. It's going to change our communities. It's going to impact us and our identity. 
a way to understand this is uh, I was recently watching a Marvel TV show with my children. I don't know if you know the Marvel movies. I, I think it's probably pretty hard to escape them. There's just so many superhero things out there. And so I was watching one called Miss Marvel on Disney Plus with my kids. It's not great. Got to start off with that. But the first episode was fine. It's a real surprise then to go on to Rotten Tomatoes or IMDb or any number of these sort of internet ratings things and see people regularly rating Miss Marvel with a zero. It's terrible. There's no redeeming features, apparently. How can that be? Well, I read some articles about it and apparently it's primarily American Christians who are taking issue with the fact that Miss Marvel is a young teenage girl superhero who is a practicing Muslim. And American Christians are up in arms about this. We need to protect our Christian values. Now, how does that make you feel? Is, is that racist? Is that religionist? Oh, we might not respond in that way. I mean, Miss Marvel, who, who's really watched that show? But if we sit and ask ourselves a question just for a moment, be honest, who would you most feel comfortable welcoming into Australia, into our local neighbourhood? A practising Syrian Muslim? Or a Burundian African Christian escaping persecution? It's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> It's also a little bit biblical, dare I say. Galatians 6 verse 10, do good to all, especially to the family of believers. Should we prioritize Christians over those of other religions? It's an uncomfortable question. Stewardship, security, immigrants, identity, it helps us see Yes, the refugee situation is complex. It is complicated. And I think that should be unsurprising. Because I think we've all experienced that tension in our own everyday lives. I find it with my little boys. Trying to balance what's just and right and what's merciful. <laughs> Trying to be compassionate and generous to all the charities who want money from me. <laughs> but also be responsible and wise and just know I can't give to everybody. How many refugees should we take in? And of what types? It's complex. Which brings us then to thinking about, well, how do we connect with this issue? What can we do in response? I think there's three things we need to do as we think about our country, as we think about our community, and as we think about our church here. I've got two bits of advice on each. First, let's think about our country. The first thing I think we need to do to connect or respond, engage with this issue, is we need to petition our governments. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I've never written a letter. <laughs> to my local politician or anything like that ever. 
But if as Christians, we have received God's compassion and care, we need to ask the question, is there anything in our government's response that we think is less than what Christ calls us to? Is there anything that we feel they've done in responding to the vulnerable in the world that's wrong, that's harsh, and we should call them on that? We live in a democracy. We have a right to speak up, particularly because they represent us. And so what our country becomes known as also becomes what we are known as. Last week I heard there are 100 million displaced people in the world at the present time. 100 million, I, I can't even comprehend that. And we have just over 1,400 in process to be settled here in Australia. 0.001%. Can we do better? Do we want to be a nation that's known as being self-absorbed and unwelcoming? Do we want to be a nation that's known as being responsible? Do we want to be a, no a nation that's known as being generous? I think we're going to come to different positions on these things. But use your voice and represent how you feel we might do better. Petition the government. Secondly, pray for the government. The more I looked into this, the more I thought, I am so glad that I am not a politician. It must be so tough making these decisions. And in 1 Timothy 2, we're commanded to pray for our government and all those in authority over us. Again, in the book of James, we're told you don't have wisdom because you don't ask for it. Imagine if we upheld those who make such decisions regularly in our prayers. It's a tough job. Our country, we need to petition and pray. What about our community? Well, the first bit of advice I've got in what should we do is open our hearts. I think a lot of the refugee debate ultimately comes down to fear. There are some people who are fleeing in fear for their lives. And then there are others who are fearful to let them in. But in 1 John in the Bible, we're told perfect love drives out fear. Often we see in the Bible, fear is the opposite of faith. Is there fear in our hearts? We need to ponder that and confess it if so. What about racism? How did you feel when I gave that example before? It's a little unsettling, perhaps. Is that something we need to repent of? Maybe the answer for you is no for all of that. Well, then I'd challenge us, if we open our hearts, are we showing consistent compassion? I feel that when we see a particular picture or hear a story on the news, that's when we get sort of a bit uptight and we go, oh, is this still happening in our world? Something has to change. Children overboard. Little Aylin lying dead on the shore of a Turkish sea. 
Last year, the Afghanis jumping on a plane that was taking off. They're so desperate, they fall to their deaths. Is that what it takes for us to mobilize? We need to persevere and show compassion and care until things change. I'm reminded that Christians stood for the abolition of slavery. And it took a long time. In our communities, we need to open our hearts. But I also think we need to open our homes. Open our homes. The Bible doesn't just talk a lot about refugees. It actually talks about the needy and vulnerable in a way that's often called the quartet of the vulnerable. Refugees is just one of them. Poor is another one. And I think we're pretty aware of and good in the church for caring for the poor. Can you tell me what the other two are? Well done. Widows and orphans. They're categories that are very close to my heart. Uh, you might know that I've invited my mother-in-law to live with me. Her husband died, she's left all alone. Yet it's amazing how many Christians say to me, wow, that's so brave of you, having your mother-in-law in your house. Actually, it's just Christian. We foster care. Again, we want to take seriously the Lord's command to care for the vulnerable, and in this case, orphans. And again, I'm, I'm a little shocked by how many Christians say, we've considered this, but it would be too hard for our family. Now I get that, I really do. <laughs> but are we calling on the government to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves? Open the borders. Will you open your house? Hospitality to strangers is also a command in the New Testament that perhaps we need to be reminded about. We thought about our country. We thought about our community. What about our church? What can we practically do to help show the Lord's compassion to others? I'm going to admit I don't know. If you have ideas, let's begin the conversation. But I feel that as those who have uniquely been refugees and experienced the Lord's loving care and provision, we have something we can offer to our country in this debate. For di different Christians, it's different things. In my last church, the processing detention centre where refugees' new arrivals were sent was in our local area. It's pretty obvious what we could do there. I haven't been in this area for long, but over the last couple of weeks, I've heard about GRAP and other organisations in Geelong that actually do ESL and uh, English as a second language classes for refugees who have settled. We provide fridges or beds or couches for those who have nothing. I've heard about City on a Hill, Melbourne, which earlier this year said, let's try to set up one of our many rooms, Mercy Ministries, to help refugees here in Melbourne. Is that a need here? Let's talk about it. What might we do 
Well, that's open for debate. But who should we be is not. If we have experienced God's care while we were strangers and aliens from him, we do need to be different from the world around us. Interestingly, my cousin Ken is not the first refugee in my family. That was my grandfather. He was an officer in the Royal Dutch Navy. And as such, he was captured by the Japanese and spent years in a concentration camp in the last world war. He experienced there such atrocities and horrors that he wanted to escape to the, the furthest corner of the globe that he could. And so he picked Australia. He never spoke about what he experienced till the day he died. And when he came to Australia, he was not welcomed. He was called a bloody wog, an immo, an immigrant. While he was an educated man, an officer in the Navy, no one would even give him a basic job. As a result, another thing my grandfather never did, up until he died, was go to church. He would drop my grandmother off and pick her up, but never come inside. I once asked him about it. He said, Matt, you can't not believe in God if you've been on a boat at sea and seen a sunset. Oh, I believe in God. I just don't believe in his people. The church was no different to the way it treated my upa than any other Australian. As those who have experienced God's mercy and grace, we are called to be different. Let me pray that that will be the case. Heavenly Father, as we think about this complicated and complex issue, we thank you that we can say with confidence, you have shown mercy and kindness to us. Thank you that you have welcomed us in Christ Jesus, even when we were far off. Thank you that more than that, you adopted us into your family. May the way you have treated us shape the way that we treat and view others, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.